Hi, everybody. How are you? My name's Lad. On my schedule, I was supposed to start talking 22 minutes ago. <laughs> so we'll try to be, uh, I'll try to expedite this process. My name's Lad Chapman. Uh, I know lots of you as my lifelong friends and aunts and uncles of the faith. Thanks for having me here this morning. I live in Menor, and uh, I wanted to really start by saying that um, it is not lost on me the great difficulty and struggle that you've been walking through as a church. And I love you, and I've been praying deeply for you. Um, at, uh, at Trinity, the, the staff uh, there have been praying for you as you walk through this, for your leaders, for everybody involved. And uh, I'm grateful to be with you here this morning, um, but obviously me being here this morning is another sign of your transition, and so I, I understand that as I'm here. Uh, secondly, as we come to the Word every week, uh, you know, we come and it's kind of a mixed bag, right? Some of us are here on high notes of the bell curve, and some of us are here on low notes. Some of us are looking at at life and babies on the way. Some of us are looking at sickness and, and possible the end of our life. Some of us are, are just getting jobs. Others of us are losing jobs, right? And so there's always this mix of joy and sorrow as we come to the word, as we greet one another. And I understand that in this morning, there is that joy and there is that sorrow intermingled together. And I'm looking forward to uh, God speaking to us. Uh, we were walking out of church just last week. We might have been at home in the kitchen, and my oldest son, Squire, said, how is it that every week we'll be talking about something, maybe in the kitchen before church, it seems like every week God has teed up for me exactly what he wants to say to me. doesn't matter what the situation is. Do you, know what I'm, do you understand what I'm saying? that we come here and we're, we're on a, an upswing or we're on a downswing, and yet somehow God speaks to us. And so I'm asking God to speak to us today in that kind of way, whether you're on an upswing, whether you're on a downswing. But one other thing contextually, I just want to say as I get started, I want to thank you for being a church body to us as a family. I know that if you were here last week, uh, my mom and dad are here as uh, longtime members of the church, and I know my dad told you last week that he is going to walk through a season of cancer, and I thank you for praying for him and for us as a family as we do that. You know, each one of us has a lifespan, right? And each one of us is going to meet Jesus at some point, sooner or later, and we know that if you walk with Jesus, that he is going to heal you. He is going to heal you, maybe here and maybe in his presence. We don't know each of our timeline, but we do have this. We have the confidence that when we know Jesus, that we have hope for life now and hope for life eternal. And so I'm really grateful for you walking with my family uh, in that and in that time. So I had to catch up on Colossians. Right? You guys have been in Colossians for quite a while. I know you had a few weeks off. You've been in Colossians for a while, but I had to catch up on it. And um, the title of the series is all about Jesus. 
absolutely fantastic title for the book of Colossians. And Christ-centered words, really, all the way through the whole book. Um, and so I just started, and I, I picked out, really, the highlights to help me get up to speed. But in Colossians 1, 4 through 5, maybe you're like me, maybe you haven't been here for the whole series. Paul says this, he says to the church at Colossae, he said, we've heard of your trust in Jesus, and you... And, uh, and that played out for them, loving Jesus and loving others. They had a reputation for loving others and loving Je- Jesus, clearly. And he said, because of that, you look forward to the joy of heaven ever since the gospel hit your ears. Ever since the gospel came to you, you've looked forward to the joy of heaven. And then in 115, he says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. It's all about Jesus. He is God incarnate. He is the visible image of God. He's supreme over all creation. It is truly all about Jesus. In chapter two, he goes on and he says, listen, you, you, you embrace the gospel and the gospel at the heart of it means that I am repenting. I am saying out loud, I'm a broken sinner who needs repentance. I'm a broken sinner that needs forgiveness. I need someone to pay the price for me. I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. Really, at the heart of it, that that is what I'm saying when I say I'm a person of the gospel, I'm a person of Jesus. It starts there. And he says, don't get, and it's funny that he uses this word, but he says, don't get jailed back into the law. He says, don't become captive. Don't don't get taken captive. And if you know where he's writing from, and I'm sure you do if you've been here the whole time, he's writing from a jail cell. So he, he's, he's, in, he's in prison, and he's writing from there, and he says, listen, don't go back into the prison of the law. He said, it looks good, it's clear, it has boundaries, it, it has shape and structure, the law does, but, but don't get tricked to just go back to doing this and doing that and identifying yourself as a, a follower of God with this set of rules. Don't get caught into it. In chapter 3, he says, you've been raised to new life in Jesus, so set your sights on the realities of heaven, where literally right now, our Savior, who died for our sin, is at the right hand of God. Right now, right now while we're talking, he's at the right hand of God, the God of the universe, the God that holds the universe in his hand, in the span of his hand. He is on the throne, and Jesus is at his right hand. And he's your Savior. It is all about Jesus. And he says again, let heaven fill your thoughts. Set your minds, verse 2, on heaven. At the end of chapter 3, because it is all about Jesus, serve one another and submit to one another. Because it's all about Jesus... Because he's at the right hand of God, because we're focused on him, serve others and love Jesus. Serve and submit to one another. So I'm, I'm married. You know my wife, Crystal. If my eyes are on Jesus, I'm going to love her well and bless her. If her eyes are on Jesus, she's going to love me and follow me. That's the way he plays it out. When my eye is on controlling my wife or my kids or people at work or my friends, when, when my eye is on the circumstance, when my eye is on controlling those around me, which it is from time to time, then I'm not going to be willing to serve, am I? Because my eye is to change you. 
My eye is to move you, not to submit to you, not to serve you, not to put you first, but to, and he says, when our eyes are on Jesus, we're going to be like Jesus. Jesus said, I come to serve, not to be served. So that brings us to chapter four, and uh, we're going to start in chapter four, verse two uh, through six. I'm going to pray for us, and uh, let's ask together, God, would you speak to us? And would you, would you lead us into what's next? God, that's my prayer. Uh, I've already said it, and you've already heard it, that, that you'd lead us into what's next. Thanks for Paul. Thanks that, that you used him to speak these words to a church in a place, a place where they first heard the gospel and where they believed. And God, you're, you're speaking those words today, and just for me, would you, would you continue uh, with what you've started in me, and would, would, you, would you take these words and would you speak to me this week that I would hear from you and, and be about your words this week and going forward? And for my friends as well. God, we pray that you'd turn the lights on, that you would illuminate through your spirit your word to us. Speak to our hearts. Guide us, lead us, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, this is the NIV, by the way. Um, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Fantastic passage. Great passage. He starts and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. We all know what the word devote means. Think in your mind right now, what's something you're devoted to? Something you're devoted to. There's probably low level, somebody said something, wife, all right, devoted to wife, fantastic. Um, there's probably low level devotions and there's like high level devotions, um, some of you might be devoted to grinding through and getting done with a book that you should finish, right? You want to finish it. It's your goal. You want to finish it. Then there's probably other things that you like to read, and you're like, I can't put this down. I'm devoted to this thing. I got to get through it. Or maybe it's a mini series you're watching. Or, but you're, for a period of time, you're devoted on a small level, right? And then there's probably higher level things devoted to, like our family, our wife. Uh, maybe for lots of us, it's providing, right? We are devoted to providing, right? And maybe the job changes, and maybe it's been the same job for 40 years, or maybe it's changed, but still you're devoted to providing. There's different things that we're devoted to. If you're here in and out of the rhythm of every week, right, you're probably devoted to hearing from God every week, whether you worship here or somewhere else. You're devoted to it. He says this, be devoted to prayer. Um, my kids uh, make fun of Crystal and I, probably about a lot of things. But uh, if, if I don't know you, we, uh, we grew up here. And um, 
you guys as a church at one point sent us, we, we worked in Africa for 10 years, and so we lived and worked in Africa for, uh, for seven, we lived there for seven of those, and then we uh, continued in that ministry for a while, and, uh, but being based back here in the States, and when I bump into somebody who's from Africa, my accent changes on a dime, I all of a sudden start rolling my, my consonants and my just my whole accent changes. I can't do it right here in front of you because I can't even think of how I do it. But if someone right here was from Africa, man, you would see me talking funny. And they always, you know, they'll kick us in the back and say, oh, nice, nice accent, Dad, that kind of thing. Um, so here's, here's the thing. A lot of us, when we pray, we get this really weird accent. We're not just talking to our dad. And Paul says that this lifestyle of devotion is, it's like a conversation with dad. It, it is us coming to our heavenly father who we're in relationship with. Wouldn't it be odd if at the breakfast table, um, every time somebody walked, your mom walked in to the room, if you had a totally different accent, with the way you talk. No, you are who you are and you're talking. That's the beauty of what we're talking about today. There are, these are words to God. These are Christ-centered words to God. We are talking to our Father. Um, how many of you remember when your kids learned to talk, right? If you had kids or maybe nieces or nephews or grandkids, right? Remember when they, they went from mumbles and noises to uh, language, right? And mom always hears the words sooner than anybody else, right? Mom always hears, okay, that mumble was actually a word, right? It's because she's intimately, intimately acquainted with that child. But those words come. Wouldn't it be odd if your child spoke really plainly to others in a certain way, and then to mom and dad spoke very formal or in a different accent? No, I mean, a child learns to talk, and who do they talk to? They talk to their mom and dad, and they talk about everything. They talk about what they need. They talk about what hurts them, what they want. They talk and talk and talk and talk, right? It's a newfound. And when we come to our Heavenly Father, He says, be devoted to talking to your Heavenly Father. Be devoted to talking to Him. And then He gives Him some, some what do you do with that? As you're devoted to Him, be watchful and thankful, Here's how you do it. You talk to your father, and you be watchful and thankful. What does it mean to be watchful in prayer? I think, um, I just really am, I love, Eric, I just got to tell you, like, we, I could just listen to your story all day, and we would really have this passage. I don't know where you went and sat, right over there. Eric said, I was watchful, and I knew God was talking to me, and I just kind of set it on the side. I've done that a million times. How many times have you known that God is answering your prayer? He's, he's telling you to do something. He's nudging you. He's pushing you closer and closer to a decision. And you're just kind of like, well, I'm pretty happy right where I'm at, right? It is, it's exactly how God says, be devoted to prayer and then be watchful. Have an alert mind. Okay, is what the, the scriptures say. Now, this is the part of prayer that I fail at. I tend to spend my time before God asking him to move in a situation, and then I move on with my day. 
So I've got prayer time here, and that's a little bit of what I mean by the accent. I kind of box up prayer. God, would you do this? And then I move on with my day, and I get busy working or taking care of kids or doing this. But, but Paul says no. He says, devote, give devoted time to God talking to your father, and then walk through the day with an alert mind, watching for where he's moving, watching for how he wants to answer. Because it doesn't really make much sense to talk to God and not expect him to respond. But if you're not alert, you're going to miss it. How many of you know that we've probably missed a million, well, not millions a lot, but a lot of cues from God, a lot of opportunities to walk into how he could use you, a lot of opportunities to walk into how he wants to bless you, a lot of open doors. So have an alert mind and a thankful heart. Why is, it, why is it important to be thankful when you're praying? I think it's important to be thankful because a lot of times there's a gap between when we're praying and when we see God move. If you're not thankful, you're going to be bitter. Because God, three mornings in a row, I've asked you for this, and where are you? Right? Three mornings in a row, I've said, would you heal this, and it's not healed yet. Three mornings in a row, I've really devoted myself to this, and where are you, God? And if I'm not thankful, I think that's reasonable. Now, of course, I don't say three mornings in a row out loud, but in my gut, I just showed up on being devoted on this issue, and all of a sudden, I'm discontent because God hasn't moved yet. You know, in 1 John 5, uh, hmm, maybe 13 or 14, 1 John 5, 13 or 14. Sorry, I don't have it marked here. 1 John 5, 13 or 14. Uh, it's 14. We can be confident uh, that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. Right? We can be confident that God listens to us. He hears us anything in line with his will. But sometimes what I'm praying isn't in line with his will. And so if I'm not thankful, I get upset because I think he's not hearing me. Uh, one of the things that I do all the time in our family, I shouldn't say all the time, I try to regularly tell the story of how God has led and provided for Crystal and I. I was thinking about this this week, and there are, there are, so, many, there are so many times that we know God led us and provided for us just in time. One time uh, when we were uh, in Africa, uh, we had to travel somewhere, and I got the car serviced, and it was a diesel truck, and so they replaced all the fluids, and I found out about 150 miles into the road that one of the fellows at the shop forgot to refill the rear differential. And so he had drained it, right, and intended to put, but, um, which is amazing that it made it about 150 miles before it seized up. Um, so, uh, but we were stranded in the middle of, in the, like, there's no gas station anywhere close, right? And I got a phone call that day from a guy in uh, California, uh, not a friend, but an acquaintance, somebody I'd met, and he said, Hey, I'm supposed to send you five grand. I know you've got a problem. I just don't know what it is. 
And I mean, the, the rear differential, unfortunately, cost about 4,500 bucks. And so I told him, this is what happened today. And he's like, well, that's what it's for. It's in your account, right? And if you don't tell yourself stories like that, um, and, and I'm not saying make up stories, but if you don't tell yourself big and small, that's not a made up story. That's a truthful story. Um, if you don't tell yourself stories like that, when you go to him with devoted prayer, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to get salty about it because you're like, God, where are you? For three days, I've been, I've been asking you this. So he says, take devoted words and give them to God with a thankful heart, with an alert mind, looking for where he will serve, or excuse me, for, for the doors that he wants to open. And we're going to get right into that. Further, he says, uh, he says for us, hey, while you're praying, while you're praying, would you pray for us? And he says this uh, in um, the end of the chapter, he says, uh, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. All right. So he says, pray for us for open doors that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he, you know, Paul uses the word mystery all the way through his ministry. He was the apostle sent to make very clear that the gospel wasn't just for Jews, it was for Gentiles. For you and I, that doesn't like, I don't talk about that mystery all the time because I'm a Gentile and largely I spend the majority of my time talking to Gentiles, right? So it's not, this, it's not this odd mystery from my point of view. Uh, that, is, that is what he's speaking about. But here's, I want you to hear the way he says it um, in the previous chapter in three. He says, uh, uh, I believe it's three. Um, about the mystery, or excuse me, in chapter 1, in 126, he says this, the mystery of Christ in you to the Gentiles. So the mystery is kind of twofold. It, it's not just that it's for Gentiles and, and not only the Jews, while that is it, it is the incredible mystery that Christ is in us, that as we trust in him, that we literally have the God of the universe in rela intimate relationship with us, that he is in us. Um, 126. I'm 45 now, and I, I cannot see. I, did any of you experience this where you can't read anymore? I literally cannot read. It is insane. I'm very sorry for the interruption. Verse 26, if I can find it on the page. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. Um, this mystery, this mystery of Christ in us. So the first thing is devoted words to God. The second words that are uh, Christ-centered words are words to others. Uh, he says this. He says that we ought to live wisely among outsiders. Um, verse 4, he says, praying that I might proclaim. We're going to get back to the proclaiming clearly. He says in verse 5, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Um, wise living among those who are outside, those outside the faith, those that don't know Jesus yet, or maybe they've heard of him, but they have not trusted in him yet. Um, again, I love both, both Bill and Eric 
when they both presented their, per, their stories just about how they interact with people, neither one of them told us what we should do, did they? They both said, here's how I hit pause too long. That's what Eric said. I hit pause too long. I, di- I, didn't, I didn't listen for too long. And, and Bill said, I used to be too judgmental. Right? I, I, just, I didn't know I was judgmental, but I was judgmental. And then God did this. Both of them, by example, just showed us how to repent. And he says, be wise amongst outsiders. Be wise in how you present yourself as a follower of Jesus. Right? Is there something attractive about someone saying, here's where I was wrong and here's what God did in my life, as opposed to, here's where you're wrong and here's what God needs to do in your life. They're, they're totally, they're very similar because as I'm listening, I'm thinking, I've got stuff that I know is wrong and that God needs to do in my life. But they didn't tell me that. They simply showed me by example this is how I repented. This is how God came into my life and gave me grace. Wise in the way that you live amongst outsiders because we're ambassadors. Uh, this is in your, in your everyday interaction with people. I guess first thing is you need to live and walk and act amongst outsiders, right? Some of us, some of us need to live amongst outsiders, people who don't know Jesus yet. Some of us don't have any interaction with people that don't know Jesus, right? That might be the first step for you. I need to interact with some people that don't know Jesus and share his love with them. But secondly, be wise. Be acutely aware of how you interact with those folks. The good news is there's a hundred different personalities in the room, at least, and God's going to use each one of us. I might act wisely and still a person's not going to hear it. They bump into you the next week and boom, Jesus moves greatly because he uses you and your story and your wise interaction with them. I think a dangerous area for this is, uh, is for us online. Um, if you have an online presence or you interact with people on Facebook or I think, it's, I think it's dangerous because you're not face-to-face with somebody. When, you, when I'm face-to-face with somebody and I say something judgmental, I can see it right away on their face, right? When I say something sinful to someone, I can see it right, right away when they recoil, right? Uh, but online, man, I can say a lot of stuff, right? Typically, we want to be right. You know that about yourself, right? We want to be right. And so if you go back and scroll through your, through your stuff and and you're right all the time on there, that might be something that you got to figure out how to change, right? And, and write socially less about how right you are. Um, some, people, uh, some people on their social media, they are always on fire. They're always ablaze. Their life is totally on fire in a bad way. Um, everything is burning down. And it's the way they get attention, Right? You might, need to, you might need to say, huh, I wonder if that is wise as I show who Jesus is to those who are outside. Some people are always complaining, constantly. You might say, God, is that really how you want me to portray a walk with you to those who are outside? Whether it's judgmental or inappropriate or what you you might say on a day like today okay god what does it mean for me to be wiser wiser in the way 
I act towards outsiders. None of us ever going to be perfectly wise, but you and I can both say, okay, Jesus, what does it mean for me to be wiser with those that I work with, live with, I'm on social media with? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity, of each open door. I think that's where the being alert comes into play. See, if I pray, if I'm devoted to prayer, but I'm never alert, I'm never looking for open doors, then, then it's, it's the second half of the equation that's never coming. I want to be ready and available for whatever open doors God wants to send my way. Just in my experience, the open doors that God sends you, big and small, they always take this. You see an open door. I don't care if it's in a conversation. I don't care if it's a life decision. They always take the same thing. They always take, am I going to do this? There's, isn't there that, always that moment? I don't care if it's in a conversation where you know you can go, you can go more about Jesus or you can go less about Jesus right? Do you know what I mean? In a conversation, you can kind of just talk about church programming or you can talk about Jesus. And it's like, all right, are we going to go there? And I have to step in. And I step in one way or the other. Any open door will take that kind of, all right, are we really going to go here? All right, let's go. And I'm going to walk with you in this. Ask God for open doors. We're going to talk about it at the end, kind of as a, a what to do. But if I were, if, let me tell you what I'm going to do this week. I, I am going to, I'm going to say, God, give me two open doors this week that I see and that you challenge me to step through. Give me two open doors this week. And clearly proclaim. Because when you have an open door, Paul says, we want to clearly proclaim. Now, to be honest, Paul asks us to pray for, he doesn't tell us to clearly proclaim, does he? He asks us to pray for him that he might clearly proclaim. And again, Paul is doing the same thing. He's saying, I need prayer to clearly proclaim. One, for open doors for him. Two, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. And by the way, Paul always goes, he's so hardcore, isn't he? He always, by the way, I'm in prison for that, you know? By the way, I'm writing you from jail. Um, he's always so hardcore. Um, and then he says, pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. I want to talk a little bit about this, and we're going to talk about it really with the last part too, but you have to use words to clearly proclaim. Do you understand? You can't just be a living, silent example and clearly proclaiming. Now, yeah, God, God, can, God can use our examples without words, Right, but, but words are included by necessity in proclaiming. When I hear the word proclaim, I think of you know, a proclamation from the king, and I think of long trumpet things, and dun, 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 you know, and here's the proclamation from the king. I think about White House briefings. I think about formal communications. And he says, you have to be intentional and clear in what you say. So I would encourage you, this is the second thing, this is off script, I would encourage you to have a verse. I would, have, I would encourage you to have up your sleeve a way to proclaim clearly and shortly the gospel. And 
And the next thing we're going to talk about is that being gracious and salty. But, but still, you need to have a way to be clear. If, if you don't have a way to be clear, you're going to be like me, and you're in a conversation, and you want to say something simple about the gospel, and instead you end up talking about, again, church programs, or I did this, or I did that, because you don't know exactly what to say in the moment. You've got to have a go-to. You've got to have a go-to verse. I'll tell you about one of them, the one that I typically go to in just a minute. So the, the first thing was devoted words to God. The second thing that Paul tells us, you need to have intentional words to others. And the third thing is, is really that we need to respond to words from God. And I want to show you what it does here. So we're in chapter four. He says this in verse six, let be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And the, the punchline and Jeff really, even a couple weeks ago, said this is the punchline of this verse, and I agree. It's kind of that, that word, so that. Um, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Let's start with those. Gracious. How many of you like being around gracious people? Well, yeah, we all do, right? It's different than graceful. Graceful is like elegant, right? Graceful is beautiful athletes, beautiful dancers, you know, Gracious is elegance of spirit, elegance of kindness. It's more than just tact. Like kind of modern pop psychology would say that graciousness is tact and not trying to hurt others. But, but true spiritual graciousness is genuinely putting others before you. Hmm. genuinely putting others before you in conversation. So if I, have a, if I have a presentation of what the truth of following Jesus is, the, the gospel, right? But it is a, it's a hard sell, I'm not listening to you and I'm, I'm giving you a presentation. It's probably, it's probably not all that gracious, even if it's about the grace of God. Do you know what I mean? Nobody nodded, so I'm gonna say that again. Um, if I have a canned presentation that I drop into the middle of open doors, right? And it's me getting through point one through seven. So you get it dialed down clearly and I've done my job. And now it's your deal to, it's your job to deal with God and you're responsible, right? And I'm off the hook. If there's probably not a whole lot of graciousness in that. Do you remember what? Jeff said about Bill's style personally is he said, I like that you truly listen to others. When you're a listener, you have a chance to be a lot more gracious because you've actually listened to someone other than yourself. You actually know what that person is dealing with because you've listened. Now, listening takes time. It's not fast. Listening might take a relationship. It's got to be gracious. And then salty. We could probably go on and we could probably have a, somebody really drill down on the full implications of salt. But salt is good and salt is tasty. Um, 
He says sprinkling here, seasoned with salt, not preserved with salt. It's not like a dried out piece of fish that all the water is taken out of and it can't rot because they did preserve things with salt. But he says seasoned with salt. Salt actually chemically changes the way you taste things. You can look it up. You can Google it later. It actually, it makes the bitterness go away and the sweet come out. And a little bit more makes the sweet go away and the savory come out, depending on how much you season it. If you work in the kitchen, you know that. Anyways, but, but he says, you need to speak in conversations like salt is on a steak. Or like a little bit of salt on a grapefruit. You know, it takes away the bitter and it helps the sweet pop. I, I don't know your personality in and out like you do. But what I'm telling you is that Jesus says your job is to sprinkle salt as you talk with people. Paul says that, excuse me. Paul says, sprinkle your conversation with salt, listening to people, being gracious, so that they might get the gospel better. Now, so that. This word, so that, the the. The word is actually uh, perceive, and it's the tense of perceive. It's so that people, so that you might perceive how to answer. So just listen slowly. I'm going to say this slowly so you can hear it. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace. Let your conversation be always full of grace, sprinkled with salt, seasoned with salt, so that you, so that I, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul says, be gracious, sprinkling with salt, so that you might know how to answer someone about the gospel. And all I think he's doing is giving us a point-by-point This is how, in conversation, you listen and you be alert to what God's doing. You be alert to what God's doing, and he will tell you, this is is hearing the words from God, he will tell you how to answer everyone. You're not going to figure it out because you're a genius. You're not going to figure it out because you're a great listener. You're going to figure it out because you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he's going to teach you how to respond in and out of season. Just like the apostles in Acts said, we're just going to, God just gave us the words, right? We're going to go out, we're going to be sent, and God's going to give us the words in time. This isn't us, this is God doing it through us. And Paul says the way to get that, the way to be alert, and the way to have it in the moment is to be gracious and seasoned, as it were, with salt. I, uh, a month and a half ago, I went fishing. I go fishing every year with a group of guys. About half of the guys are a, uh, a core group, and then we always invite a different group of guys, right? Some other guys. And it's usually guys that are uh, in some trouble, who is trouble personally or going through a divorce or, you know, guys who are struggling. And we just intentionally always bring a few new guys with us. And the total group is about 15, and we kind of split shifts and on the boat and stuff. And 
last year, a year ago, I met a guy for one day. Our, we were there together for one day. I had never met him before. And on that morning that we had breakfast together, he was, you know, you're getting to know people and they're like, oh, lad, lad lived and worked in Africa and he's kind of a Jesus guy. And, and, uh, and so they, they're having this story and he said, well, tell me more about that. And so I shared uh, a verse and I wrote some things down on a napkin and, uh, and then, you know, nice to meet you. And he went his way and, and this year came back and, uh, he said to me after dinner the first night, he said, hey, I, I need to spend a couple minutes with you. Can we grab a couple minutes sometime this week? We're going to be there for three or four days together. Can we grab some time? So I heard that request, and instantly I thought, okay, God, this is a conversation I probably need to not mess up, right? And, you know, I just, I got to talk to this guy. So the next morning I was up early. It's a different time zone, and I was up early, and I was making coffee, and I waited until 6, and then I texted him at 6, and I said, um, hey, I'm out on the patio. I'm having coffee. I'm doing some emails. I'm out on the patio. You know, come on out. He slept right until the bell, and we rolled out, and we were on the boat all day. And then uh, the next day, I texted him and said, hey, I'm out having coffee. Um, you want to get together? He slept right until the bell. And the third day, he did the same thing. Well, he was going back on the fourth day. And... Um, I knew that we hadn't had the conversation yet. And I thought, okay, God, how, how hard do I have to hit the door for the door to open, right? And so he needed a ride to the airport. And there's a couple ways we could have gotten it done. Um, I said, hey, guys, I'm not going to go. I got a ton of work to do. I'm going to get some work done today. And um, I'll take, I'll take uh, my friend to the airport. And sure enough... As soon as we got in the car, it went down, right? But here's the thing. You know, fishing days are nice. Sometimes, sometimes you got to say, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through this door. And we talked all about faith, and we talked about how do you really have interaction with God, and how do you trust him, and, and what does it really mean for me to trust in Jesus? And... I don't know the full lifelong spiritual impact of that for him, but I do know that in the days that followed, as we emailed one another, um, he's still grinding on those verses, right? My verse, by the way, is John three fourteen. It's what I go to. It's my favorite passage. It's my favorite quick story, right? Jesus says just before John three sixteen, he says, "I'm the snake on the stick, just like Moses raised it up in the wilderness, the Son of Man." has to be raised up. And for me and my style and for what I like to, how I like to share the gospel, that, that is the picture I draw. It's the way I share the gospel quickly with somebody. Um, you've got to have your own way. It might be the Romans road. It might be just Romans 6.23. I don't know what your verse is, but you've got to have a way graciously to listen to someone, to understand the hurt in their life and the marriage problem they're going through and where they're lost and You've got you've to have a way to be clear with the gospel and the love of Jesus all the while listening. So for me, this is what I'm asking God this week. I'm asking God that, uh, that one, 
that he would help me to pray with my normal tongue, not my strange accent, not my, not my formal boxed up accent, but that I would literally devote myself to just talking to my father. And then two, God, would you help me watch with expectation of the doors you're going to open? Two, I'm asking for two. I'm not an overachiever, I just want two, right? I want two doors this week. And then really asking for doors is asking for the courage to step into them, right? And when I do step into them, my prayer is that, uh, that I would do it with salt and grace. Make sense? I think it's a good passage. I think we can all use it. I'm going to pray for us. God, again, I pray that you would turn the lights on here for us, that your spirit would take something of your scriptures that is true and speak it deeply to our heart in a way that moves us forward with you. That's my prayer Uh, for my friends here, uh, for each one of us. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege to hear from you and pray that we might walk.